You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. It was, you know, I also know now after having written uh, for this project for some time, I know, I think, I say I know, and when I make the next album, I'm probably going to make the same mistake. (laughs) But, you know, I know the point where uh, when you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and actually you're moving further and further away from what you wanted to achieve, uh, emotionally speaking. And that's exactly what I hit with Nova. I was just like, I kept listening to demos. I wanted to tweak things or like I got into working on one song. And I felt like the more I was pushing, the, the worse it was getting. So I was just like, okay, you know what? I need to take a step back. I had some friends around me too that I was like chatting with and stuff. They were like, just, you know, take a step back. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music and craft beer. Hope you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm very stoked to have teamed up with them to bring you Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal 2022, which will be happening in my hometown, Montreal, on September 2nd at Corona Theater. This year's event features Deicide performing their classic album Legion in its entirety, alongside Cataclysm, who will be performing their classic album Serenity and Fire in its entirety, as well as with Inhuman Condition. And I am very stoked to announce that we have added the powerhouse undeath to brutal montreal 2022 i can't be more stoked about this tickets for brutal montreal 2022 are flying trust me if you want to come to this year's event you should pick up your tickets now via the link in the description of this podcast because it is going to sell out and you're going to miss out on the chance to hang out with me and enjoy life metal and craft beer in my hometown of montreal it's going to be a blast. Don't miss it. I'm very stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves metal, loves extreme metal, loves thrash metal, loves deathcore, loves metal... Well, do me a favor and let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcasts exists. You can tell them that there are over 350 episodes where I hang out with some of the world's best metal musicians, and that's the absolute truth, and we talk all about their lives and music while enjoying a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today in the podcast, I'm joined by Catherine Shepard of Sylvain. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 358. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm joined by Catherine Shepard, also known as Sylvain. Uh, Catherine, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, super, super rainy day here in Oslo. So guess that's not the inspiration we need for like a good, nice summer vibe. But everything's fine. Otherwise, <laughs> It sort of fits the mood of your 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 music, though, which is, which is good. It, here in Montreal, it's absolutely gorgeous out. <laughs> oh, really? It's just Thanks for rubbing it in. So beautiful. Great. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm gonna wrap up this, and then I'm gonna go and enjoy a few more craft beers in my alley with my family and friends because we have a friend that's moving away back oh. to France. But that's okay. I'm hanging out with Catherine for a little bit first, and that makes me very happy. Uh, let's jump into the shittiest question. Everything else from here will get more fun, I promise you. Uh, what? <laughs> how, <laughs> how have you been coping with the glorious years, plural, of 2020, 2021, and hopefully not the rest of 2022? 
Uh, how have you been living through these amazing times, Catherine? Well, yeah, these times have been glorious, haven't they? Or not so much. <laughs> well, basically, I just kind of threw myself into my art because that's basically what you do when you are a creative soul and you need shelter, right? Uh, so that's pretty much what I did. Um, I was working on my fourth album anyways. Um, I already started that in 2019. Uh, but 2020, definitely... I mean, it's kind of threw several curveballs at me. I mean, obviously, COVID was one that was thrown at every single one of us, uh, but in my personal life, too. So it was the perfect moment to try to release all of this into music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, as a, music has always kind of been my safe haven throughout my since my teenage years, it was just a natural way to, to, to do that. And I also decided that, okay, the, the center of the universe does not revolve around me. So I would like to try to do something nice for others and be like, kind of like a positive force in the middle of this kind of weird, shitty period. So I, I started, started to stream yoga online um, every week. Yeah, for free. I wanted to be able to offer uh, classes to people as I was training to become an official teacher, which I did actually like a few uh, months later. And I started teaching vocals online because I've been teaching vocals um, in person for some years already. And I was playing with the idea of doing online classes anyways. And I was like, what better moment than when people are trapped in their houses and they can't run away from them. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's basically what I did. I tried to, to stay active creatively, try to also take a lot of time to walk outside, be in nature, uh, practice spirituality through like yoga, meditation, a lot of self-questioning, which I'm sure a lot of people did. Um, and yeah, trying to be something positive for others as well. Well, it sounds like you did a lot of great things. It sounds like you, you were creative musically. You gave back. Uh, you found ways to cope with hypothetically anxiety because of everything that was going on. The uncertainty of being an artist in the times of COVID was not easy. So that's yeah, a good thing. For sure. I, I dove just deeper into the darkness and, and, and enjoyed having conversations and drinking beer with people because Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives, music and craft beer. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to be drinking on your side today that we're going to be sharing virtually? Uh, before we started, you mentioned that it was not a beer, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. Well, I got, so I got my trusty water because as a vocalist, you kind of just like always carry that around it's like that and a scarf it seems to be like the vocalist started back i don't know throw coaching maybe i wear a so, scarf religiously and i get yeah, made fun go. of it frequently but i don't <laughs> mind at all uh, i know i'm like the person in summer wearing a scarf i was like what's wrong with you <laughs> i'm like you don't get it it's fine it's okay don't worry <laughs> so i have my trusty water and i also have um i think it's called ultra watermelon monster on my side so Ooh. there you go come on monster so, sponsor sylvain yeah. uh, yes, endorse this babe please <laughs> like, <laughs> i also have some water but it's it also has uh, some some malts in it and some oh. hops and some yeast and uh, a little Very bit cool. of pineapple actually in this one and it was oh. aged in a Sauvignon Blanc uh, barrels for 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 some time. This is a Lété Saint Fin, which is a, a summer, a never-ending end. Exactly, never-ending yeah. summer uh, by Saint Cambado. This is for their second anniversary. Um, it's a mixed fermentation saison uh, with pineapples that was aged in uh, Sauvignon Blanc barrels. So massive beer for a massive brewery i love them to death uh one wow. of quebec's best breweries one of quebec's youngest breweries most exciting uh this is 7.5 percent i'm gonna crack this and as i do this i would love to hear about your very first beer you're not drinking a beer today but uh do you remember the first beer that you did drink well that's first of all that sounds super amazing uh that's really really that's like a beautiful blend it sounds very interesting it's i i picked it to pair with 
Nova. I think it's it's a perfect oh, pairing. That's why. That sounds like very delicate and nice to go with Nova. I like that. But nice thought. That's very cool. Oof, my first beer. That's a good question. So I haven't been drinking for a few years now. Just basically a choice I made because, well, it wasn't out of a necessity. It was just kind of me being weird as always. I'm just going, I'm going to try and see what happens when I don't drink. And that was kind of like five, six years ago. Now. And everything just but, got better, right? It's it's, it's like you well, sleep better, I mean, you rest yeah, more pretty. rested. <laughs> I always have more True. ideas. I do a sober February and then people around oh. me are like, Matt, you should start drinking again because you have too many ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, calm down, dude. Like, I have to catch up with you now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, the, the first one, I'm trying to think of the very first beer I had. Uh, that is, well, as since we all know that I'm like such a grandma now, that's like a while ago now, I think. <laughs> I do remember, I have like distinct memories of having like, um, so not very fancy, but like, you know, a Pilsner Urquell, is it mm-hmm. Urquell, Urquell? Pilsner Urquell, yeah, from the, yes. Czech Republic. Exactly, from the Czech Republic that I loved when I was like in my teenage years, probably before it was legal to drink here, but still, I used to drink that when I was a kid. And um, that was probably some of my first memories with beer. That also, Newcastle Brown Ale, that used to be a favorite as well, like when I was a, bit, a little bit older, but still, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> a little more caramelly, a little more malty exactly, yeah. on that one. My, my, first, yeah. my first Pilsner Urquell was with uh, Peter from Vader. Funny oh, st- that's cool. Funny story. That's, that's we cool. went to dinner, me and Flo, yeah. before we played a show together. Cheers to you. Cheers. You got that wild nose because of the mixed fermentation. It's really, really cool. But also oh. super fruity, the pineapple. Is the pineapple very prominent or is it just like a hint? It's a hint on the nose. It's pretty prominent, but it's also with the wild yeast. So it smells very earthy and farmy. Oh. But in the mouth, it's, it's more subtle. It's still there. It's um, complex, wild again. And the, the Sauvignon barrels really come through. Really, really awesome. Cheers to uh, Second Bottle for killing this brew, as always, which is why they were the number one brewery. For me, Beerism and BAOS last year, and uh, they're going to fight fight to be number one again, I think. Um, Very cool. Love beer. Uh, so you never got into craft beer. That's okay. Uh, let's talk about the soundtrack of your youth. Now, I know from checking out some stuff, you come from a very rich musical family. Your father played drums on your first three albums. He is a drummer musician. Uh, your mom works in the industry promoting shows. I would love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up in your parents' house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the music? What music did your parents listen to? Well, basically, it was a lot of, I would say a lot of rock, actually. There was like a a mix of everything. I don't think any of us in my family are really kind of uh, singular-minded when it comes to different kinds of music. Everyone is very open, and it's more like about, if there's elements that speak to you, it doesn't really matter what kind of genre it's in. Um, well, maybe a bit more for me than my parents, because obviously that's very much a modern thing now, I think, where people are much more open-minded. But yeah, my mom has always been more into like on the rock side, and she likes like more like classic rock stuff. I remember one of her favorites were like Zappa, which is also quite um, obviously Eclectic, yeah. quite progressive mm-hmm. and uh, interesting. I mean, he was a genius, obviously. And um, uh, I mean, hard to, when you look back and you watch documentaries about the guy, like, how can you be this creative? I don't know. But so yeah, that was a favorite of my mom. Uh, also, yes, like she liked the more like yes. progressive stuff, Pink Floyd, things like that. And my dad has been more on the jazz side, but kind of still 
always having a foot like in either like R&B, soul, funk, rock, that kind of stuff. So I grew up with a very varied soundtrack, but it was a lot of like classics and a lot of um, jazz stuff that I listened to as well because of my dad, more free things because he's more of a free spirit, like, you know, kind of <laughs> drummer that can sit down and jam for like two hours straight. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that's cool. Um, and then when I became like kind of more aware of myself and got into music, my, my favorite band that really kind of got me into the first steps of, of where I am now is probably Aerosmith. Really? So I think that probably came from my mom because of the kind of classic rock, rocky bands that she was listening to that I heard. Uh, and I got more into kind of melodic rock stuff myself. And then, yeah, Aerosmith became like a huge favorite of mine. Really? What, what, what album from Aerosmith would, would be the one that really you remember just captivating. Oh, actually, I really love the, the the very first like their debut. Actually, like I remember hearing "Dream On" for the first time and being like, "Oh my god, this song!" Like seriously, and obviously been singing it, like attempting to sing it, like yeah. later on. <laughs> His voice is amazing. So, yeah, I mean, Steven Tyler is an amazing. He's an amazing frontman in general, though, isn't he? He's like not only the the actual uh, voice, which is really unique, but it's his his way of being like an entertainer on stage is just really. He fills the stage all on his own. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. It must be difficult, difficult for the band members. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so, and I also remember like getting into Toys in the Attic was really, really cool as well, and uh, Permanent Vacation. I mean, there was a lot of cool records of Aerosmith. I mean, they released so many records too. So, yeah, a lot of really cool, uh, cool ones. I love that. I love that. Uh, was there ever a record that was too much for your parents? That was too extreme? Uh, obviously, you, you, you dove into the extremity of music with everything that you're making right now. But growing up, was there ever a CD that you brought into the house that was just too much for them that you had to listen to with headphones because they just couldn't put up with it? <laughs> you're like, can't stand this shit. I'm trying to think. Again, they're pretty open-minded, so they at least give it a try, and they never like forbid me to listen to anything. Actually, they sometimes they would get into things because of um, because I suggested it, even though they would have never picked it up themselves. But I think probably like the more heavy stuff, like getting into more black metal things, or yeah, that didn't go over super well. Like you know, with bands like that are quite progressive like for example emperor or stuff like that and at the same time have this like really heavy stuff and it could be blasphemous for like many many minutes at a time and my dad's like yeah but that's not very groovy and i'm like yeah but that's not the point you know <laughs> so that was kind of something i had to enjoy on my own for sure like you know the all the norwegian bands like dark throne mm. and emperor immortal all these guys that were like really cool that i got into a bit later in life actually compared to most people but still something that didn't really ever fall into their my parents appreciation uh, it's tough. I, I imagine my kids will bring home something one day that I won't like, and and uh, I'm looking forward to that day to to. Yeah. I, I I love asking that question, and and I, I think it'll be interesting to see what band is the band that will be too much for me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure for each generation it changes, but mm -hmm. I, it's going to be harder now. I think because everything is starting to like fusion together. Because of the so internet. we're so used to yeah. hearing all kinds of kind of weird impulses go together like in one mix. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I typically ask about your first shows, but now your mom was just so involved in the industry. So I imagine that your first shows were probably really young. Do you, do you remember the first show that you went to go see? So actually the very first show I went to, I was in, it was in the womb. <laughs> it was, a, <laughs> it was a, 
I was my very first show before I was born or like right before I was born was the Rolling Stones. Wow. Remember? Which was really cool because I actually, I work for, um, I mean, I'm not supposed to say that because they're the enemy, but I work for Live Nation here in Norway and I have been for the last 16 years. <laughs> and one of the first shows I worked uh, when I was quite young, I was the Rolling Stones. So it was like really fun. It came like full circle. So yeah, first in room concert was uh, Rolling Stones. And the first one I remember, I was think I was must've been like four or five five years old was Toto. They played here in Oslo at some kind of like event, which I, I thought it was really cool. I like, I love them because they're quite, you know, they're a bit more commercial, but really cool and like catchy and stuff. So Absolutely. I remember seeing, but also remember being like a very tiny midget and being like, Oh my God, this is a lot of people. And stuff. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think it was Toto. That was the first one that I remember at least. So uh, you, you went to a lot of music schools. So I imagine this affects my next question here. At you also being young do you remember your first time on stage i absolutely do um so for a long time uh, i was absolutely terrified of hearing my own voice even like singing for myself and actually taking in the fact of listening to myself sing so it took me some time to be able to get on a stage uh because yeah i just um <laughs> i went like broke out in cold sweat just thinking mm-hmm. about it <laughs> no 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 it's but a tough was- thing to get over yeah yeah. I mean, it's like still it was something that always kind of attracted me. So there was this kind of like, you know, uh, I kind of have to do it at some point to try. So I have this very strong memory of uh, starting uh, music high school. So that's basically in high school here. You can start to choose a direction that you want to go. In, and I chose a, a music department. I didn't get into the classical one that I applied for, which is actually so good it was like it was a godsend you know <laughs> i came i got into the part the, the other school because there's only two of them in, in oslo uh, that are in high school like that it's the classical one for the people that are more in this vein and then it's the other one that's kind of like more jazz rock a bit more like a fusion thing they have classical there too but it's uh, it was great that i got in here and um so every lunch hour there was like an hour break and every uh, uh wednesday i think it was they would basically force the students uh, you know, one after one to have concerts during this like lunch break concert hour. And I remember so well, my very first concert at the school, I think it was they, a few months in, they don't do it like right away or after like maybe half a year, they give you time to kind of adjust first. And um, I was, it was just me and a guitar player. We did Autumn Leaves, like the Eva Cassidy version or, uh, of that song. And I remember this moment so well. I talked to my students about this all the time because I was balls out terrified to get on stage and sing for people because that was something that I'd hidden from everyone for a long time um I was what at the time 15 something like that 16 but I so clearly remember this moment of like realizing that I could actually stop people in their tracks by standing on stage and and talking to them through the through singing there was I the you know it uh, the the concert hall was kind of like in the middle of a school. So like, it wasn't just the music department. There were other departments around that had nothing to do with music. And I remember having like uh, students from other parts, like walking in the upper part, like on the balcony and actually stopping just to listen. And I was like, wow, that's pure magic. I need to do this again. (laughs) So (laughs) after that, I was like, okay, this is really fucking scary, but this is also like the best thing ever. So definitely a, a turning point for me when I really had that experience. And I was like, Oh, because I'd done like some small things uh, in in junior high, but nothing like that was a real performance. And that that moment, it was probably what led me here, I guess. I love that um, few notes right there. If only the rest of the world could appreciate the arts as much as Norway 
and Sweden. I, I spoke to lots of artists from Sweden as well, where yeah. where music is a part of education. And, and I wish yes. that it was an option elsewhere and it wasn't like an extracurricular thing, something put off yeah. to the side, something that's really showcased as an important aspect of culture as education we'd have more amazing artists such as Catherine. So, so <laughs> give, give, give the young youth a chance to create. Yeah, for sure. Let them, let them be themselves too. Don't force them into paths that they don't want to take, you know, that's also not cool. So you went to three music schools from what I read yes. beforehand. Uh, a lot that's of correct. people that go to music schools have this mindset or when they're being taught that they can't be creative, that they have to be basically performance machines. Is that something that you lived through, that, that being an artist that had to create something, did you ever feel stifled by the music schools because music schools, it's a lot of stuff that I've seen here basically in, in Canada is like you're, you're being taught to perform pieces. You're not supposed to have a creative soul yourself. That's very much the classical way of thinking though, isn't it? It's like you're, um, you're kind of like reinterpreting old, uh, old classics and old work, but you're not asked to put very much of yourself into it because you're supposed to follow what is written out for you. So that was a good thing for me that I am classically trained as a vocalist at these schools. I also had classic, I had um, classes in piano. I also had drum classes, of course, composition, everything like that too. But I was never really pushed into this. Like I wasn't also, honestly, I'm not sure I could be because I'm not, I'm not just opposite of who I am. For me, mu music and art in general is like pure emotion. And it's just the way it is, you know, techniques and stuff. It can be cool and it can be impressive for a moment. But in the end, if you can't communicate something authentic, it doesn't really matter to me. So I wasn't really bothered by this because I don't, I would never even saw myself getting into that. And I always for better or worse, I kind of had to put myself in the, the songs. I wasn't able to just kind of, um, you know, follow the sheets and not uh, not put any pieces of myself into it. Some classical pieces more neutral, of course, but otherwise, no, they, they very much understood that this is someone we're not going to be able to mold into our kind of like framework. So I was quite, um, I feel like I was quite respected. I was pushed into a lot of different like uh, types of music at music school, but I never felt that kind of pressure going uh, to music school here in Norway, at least. Your, your parents are being so involved in the industry. Uh, did it seem like you could? Was it easier to become a successful musician? Was it something that you felt like you had to do? I, I, my parents were definitely not in the music industry, and I knew that I had to become a musician, which is why I did. Um, I'm wondering if it's just the same for you or if it was something that was expected of you. Just curious about that. I think my parents from a very early age were very supportive of pretty much any interest I had. So I don't think it would have mattered whatever I got into, they would have been there because they're just awesome people. Um, it just kind of music has always been a big part of my life and a big part of our family and what has brought us together as a family because we're all interested in it uh, in different ways. My mom also used to sing in choirs when she was younger. So I mean, she's also done like some uh, performing on her own, but kind of, it's funny, she came out from my voice isn't good enough to try to uh, showcase it to the world. So I'm going to take a step back and do the other side because I'm very good at organizing. So I never really felt um, pressure in that sense that I had to follow in their footsteps. It's something that was I found as a calling quite early on. I used to, I have these memories of being like, I don't know, in primary school, second or first grade and singing for the other kids uh, before I kind of became self-conscious and stuff about what I was doing. Um, so it's always been a part of my, it's always been a part of my life really. 
I did feel a little bit of pressure when uh, getting a bit older and kind of getting more serious with music. And I, it took me a long time to take the steps towards doing what I do today because I, I struggle so much with self-confidence. I'm quite of a shy person. I'm more of an introvert um, than extrovert. So it took a lot to be able to get here. And I have, remember having some serious conversations with my parents where they were like, okay, dude, you have to take the first steps. You have to push yourself. Nobody's going to come knocking at your door. If you want to do this, don't just talk. You have to do stuff. So I was like, kind of, they, they pushed me in a way like that, but in a, I think in a way that was quite healthy. Like they made me, they kind of built me up enough to, to, to want to take the steps when I was ready. Cause I mean, I had to be ready. You can't really push someone into it. I think before they're ready, cause that usually doesn't end up very well. Um, but yeah, they, they helped me, uh, put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. I was like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do it. Yeah, but you're not doing anything about it. So, you know, come on. <laughs> that's great. And that, I did, actually. That's, that's so. a super healthy way of, of fostering your children's creativity and career without them just giving it to you in a box. Absolutely. Which other artists have had in the past. So, so cheer, cheers true. to your parents for that because yeah. uh, you got to put the work in. And, and you can always tell when an artist has put the work in. Mm, because they seem more, it's more genuine uh, definitely in the long run um you, you've been singing forever um <laughs> true <laughs> <laughs> getting uh, old <laughs> my topic here is your voice so <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it about the human voice that uh, still surprises you because uh, i'm still surprised by the things that i can do sometimes and that i rediscover things or i forget that i used to be able to do things extreme vocals clean singing it's it's basically the same thing it's just a different point of pressure uh talk, talk to me about your your exploring of your voice uh pushing it at what point did you realize that harsh vocals were something you could do um how do you keep it going and uh, how do you keep challenging yourself so the, the thing that's so fascinating about the human voice is, as you say, it, it seems like there's kind of no limits to what you can do with it. And if you're willing to put in those hours of sitting around and sounding like a total weirdo, <laughs> you're, going to be, you're going to be really surprised by just how much you can do. So I'm always telling my students that like, you need to do those things where you sit and you just like try to imitate things or make sounds. And you'll be so surprised that the only limitations are really kind of in your mind and like, course you have a range and that's the thing but like you know it's it's really never ceases to amaze me just how much uh width you have within expression in, in the human voice also of course with it being where the instrument is your own body it also never ceases to amaze me how much just a single voice with a few notes can just break your heart into a thousand pieces or can uplift you more than anything else because there's nothing really more personal than using your own body as the, the vessel of communication with others. So it's it's um it's an instrument that I find highly fascinating that I've always loved the sound of. I love harmonies and vocal harmonies and different textures that you can use with your voice. So obviously being into more heavy music, I've always been um, interested by why people like to use harsh vocals. What kind of expression does it give? What kind of emotions do they kind of uh, uh, showcase? And later on, what they could uh, express for me. So I got into the harsh vocals when I was uh, working on my first, uh, or a little bit before I was working on my first album. It was kind of in parallel. I was in the studio with a friend of mine, and I was doing some vocals for a song he was recording. And he was kind of like trying to push me on the chorus of that song. Like, can you go a little like, you know, just a little bit more edgy? And I'm like, dude, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> edgy isn't really in my vocabulary. 
unfortunately, I think we would all love to have that like, super raspy, like, you know, Janice Joplin style vocals. It ain't me, guys. Like, just like, you know, it's either Banshee in the woods or like super fairy. I don't know. <laughs> so I didn't know at the time, though, that I could do the Banshee. So he kind of pushed me and kind of pissed me a little bit off. It's like, why did you ask me to sing when you know I can't do this? But I'll try. And just was not really working. It's like, what if you just tried to scream? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And um, I tried. And I was really surprised to find out that I do know how to do this. (laughs) So I think it was because I had at that point, I'd had like, what, five, six years vocal lessons already. So I had a a quite good grasp of the the basic technique and how to use my voice and how to manipulate it in different ways for different effects. So my body kind of knew how to, to set itself up. And therefore, screaming wasn't that far out of reach, actually. It just seemed like it, because it was like, how do you get your very, very clean voice to sound like that? And I mean, now that I'm teaching this myself, I can see the mechanics way easier. Back then, I had no idea how I did it. I just kind of made it happen. So, and for me, the the harsh vocals were never about actually expressing anger or anything like that. It's just, I felt that it was a great tool when the, the, the clean voice is not enough anymore. Like, you cannot express the severity of the emotion the harsh vocals just kind of like tears you a new one. You know, I love that. So for me, it's always been about like when you get tried trying to put into uh, something physical, like how frustrating things can be or how severe or urgent an emotion can be. And I just feel that the harsh vocals have a, a really special way of underlining that and just also hitting something super primal that we all have, even if we don't use it, it's in us. And it's just that this need to just like, you know, Ah, release. It's the ultimate release. And um, I find uh, really interesting how physically demanding these vocals are, how emotionally demanding they are. I remember after being in the studio uh, for my third album, Adam's Line Coming Undone, there was a part where we were doing quite a bit of screaming. And I, I mean, like, I was almost like passing out because it's it's really demanding. Like, at least for me, the way that I, the technique I use, it's physically and emotionally really draining. But that's also what's very cool is like a ultimate catharsis to just like let go so yeah it's definitely the human voice is a really cool instrument and uh, it's true that everyone can sing but boy you have to work if you want to be a good singer it's not something that happens like that and experimentation is definitely a part of it i completely agree i am going into the studio in in a week to record the new cryptopsy vocals so so i'm looking forward to that cathartic release of my own when it's over (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it's over, exactly. <laughs> That's, That's what I'm true. looking forward to. But <laughs> yes, the part where you're done and it sounds good, and you're just like, cool. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah, but absolutely, <laughs> and and it is. It does take a lot out of us, and and as much as we're in complete control and we yes. know what we're doing, it's still it's an extremely physical job. I believe drummers absolutely. and vocalists probably work the most and that's that's I think a so. bold statement yeah. that i'm staying right there and all guitarists <laughs> and bassists are upset with me right now but that's okay you that's just <laughs> released nova uh, via seasons and mist uh, came on march 4th uh what an album i was listening to it with my kids as i do when i have this interview slot 1 p.m my time here in montreal we eat lunch and i listen to the album I've listened to it before, but I listened to it again right before with my kids, and they were like, this is really sad. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. The the opening track, my my son was like, he's four now, he's like, this is really sad. (laughs) I was like, but it's not really sad, it's just, it's a bit somber, but. Exactly. It's just like, you know, a little melancholy. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to taint the like, innocence no, no, of your children. No, 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 no. I've already, I've already done that. Don't worry. Um, 
true, true. I'm sure you have. <laughs> um, I've always written in a group. I know you've touched on this a lot, but I love asking this question. When you're writing alone, how do you know it's good? <laughs> oh, that's such a good question. And not a question actually I get, or have I ever been asked that? I'm not sure. Uh, that's a really hard thing to say. Um, with some songs, it's kind of just instantly, you just have a feeling. I mean, I'm sure it's the same in a group too. You just have a feeling that, Ooh, this is something like, you don't necessarily, this is great or this is amazing or this is the next new whatever, but you just go, this is something it really, from the moment it's created, you're like, Oh, it, there's something there that touches you that I always uh, take as, um, a, a guide that, you know, don't fuck around with it too much. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> don't try to like change it, uh, completely into something else. Uh, but like leaving some of those initial ideas that, that made you feel in the, in the beginning, let them be and just build around them. Other songs, it's, it's really hard. And especially when you're working with kind of bigger pieces that can go up to like 10, 12 minutes, it's a real journey. Like sometimes you have some parts where you're just like, you feel them, you're, this is great. And other parts where you just, you start doubting it when it comes to this round. You just don't know that that's not a good sign, you know, <laughs> or when you go, you find yourself going, you know, if you wonder at all, sometimes I find that that means that it's not good enough actually to make the cut for the record. Um, but then again, I'm very critical of myself. So one day I love something and the next day I listen to it, I'll be like, this is crap. Like what's wrong with me? <laughs> so where, where, where do you put those pieces? I imagine you record everything. I do record most things. Yeah. In my, uh, on my super old Mac with logic nine, which is like, so out <laughs> remember I said I was a grandma. Hello. It's not, it's for real. So, so when, when so, you have those moments and, and you, you are doubting a piece, you take it and put it into like this other folder or is it gone forever? Exactly. Okay, it, cool. No, no. It goes you into like it. the yeah. ideas folder. Okay. It goes into ideas and has like some kind of weird ass name that only I exactly. would understand. But um, and then from there, it's, some of them have stayed there since, you know, album number one. Hmm. And they're still there. And I did drag them out every now and then and listen to them. It's interesting also to hear the kind of progression, in the songwriting as you go. Um, and sometimes you actually hear an idea or like a riff, you go, oh, maybe I can actually work with this. But in another context, it doesn't work in this context, but maybe another. And you try and sometimes it's cool and it works. Uh, like I released a song in 2020 that I that I wrote like when I was, what, 16, 17, 18, called No More Solitude. And it has existed in so many different versions. It was online on YouTube for a while with just me and playing piano uh, alone. And uh, I just was never happy with this one. So I kind of reworked it many times. And then I finally kind of found the version that I liked and I let go. <laughs> so, it's, but, gone. Um, it's gone now. It's, 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 it's gone it's, now. It's, it's, it's in the it's, wild. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> no, these, ideas, you know. these ideas weigh on our brain. Yeah, they do. Of course they do. They, they stay there and they kind of take up a little space, a little bit of memory space, you know. But uh, it's really hard to know when things are done especially when you're alone to be able to say this is done i literally terrified throughout the whole process when i make a record <laughs> because especially the mixing for me is a hard one because then you have to actually make like final choices because okay guys in case you didn't know the mastering is not magic it won't change your sound completely no, so no, no. you have to be happy in the mix right so it's always a scary process of uh, making like, final decisions and being afraid that you made the wrong ones um but it's the same throughout the whole songwriting you just have to try to trust your gut and try not to change things uh, into something they weren't originally. That I think is quite important to stay true to the original idea somewhat because there was something there. And for example, taking something that was very acoustic-y and like ballad and trying to make it into like a super blasphemy, whatever. Maybe it's not going to work, you know, because it's not the character of the idea. So just uh, 
it's a matter of working hard. Uh, taking breaks is really important. Coming back to stuff. Sometimes it will take months to finish a song, maybe even a year to finish a song when it's a long piece. And that's okay. I think not rushing it is really important. And one of the components of finding out if something is good and good enough. But I don't like saying good enough because that sounds bad, but you know, if it if it's worthy of being on an album, basically. Where it will stay forever. So. <laughs> In the world. Everyone's the world. judging you. But uh <laughs> <laughs> back There's on no that turning stage back. before you got up on stage um exactly back in 20 you, you mentioned taking a break you mentioned in another interview uh the, the fear of inspiration disappearing uh mm. in 2020 you took uh, three months away from playing guitar yeah that that yeah. must have been a scary moment or a, a refreshing moment could have been a bit of the both because it is it is if you're looking at a wall and and the wall is just there every day when you're trying to write something that's that's a frustrating moment and the world was going completely crazy at that exact time too exactly it was you know i also know now after having written uh for this project for some time i know i think i say i know and when i make the next album i'm probably going to make the same mistake (laughs) but you know, I know the point where uh, when you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and actually you're moving further and further away from what you wanted to achieve, uh, emotionally speaking. And that's exactly what I hit with Nova. I was just like, I kept listening to demos. I want to tweak things or like I got into working on one song and I felt like the more I was pushing, the, the worse it was getting. So I was just like, okay, you know what? I need to take a step back. I had some friends around me too that I was like chatting with and stuff. They were like, just, you know, take a step back. Because the problem with the whole COVID period and creation was that obviously for me, it was about like a specific event, but it also kind of related to the whole global situation of of loss. And, you know, this thing of feeling trapped uh, was was obviously very present for everyone, but um, still not being able to actually live during COVID normally means that you don't have things, uh, not you don't have things to say, but it's not the same because you need the world on the outside to help you confront the world on the inside, I feel. Uh, It's when you meet the outside world that you really process what's going on in your own uh, little sphere. And not having that obviously also made things a bit more uh, difficult, even if it was Sylvain as a project is a very introvert project. You need the outside world, you know, and um, I didn't have that. So I thought it would be wise at that point to take a step back. And then I kind of got into other things and it became a longer break than I thought. When I got back to it, then it was things were much more clear and just kind of waited for the itch to come back. And I was still like I was still singing and stuff and teaching vocals. So I I never really lost touch with that. But uh, yeah, it was a big break. It was weird, uh, but it was definitely needed. And I think it was the right choice. And I hope I will be able to. I I should not be as bombastic. (laughs) I hope I will be able to recognize the same patterns because I'm sure it will be here again. For the next one you have to make a sign <laughs> and put it in wherever you're writing <laughs> remember <laughs> just stop being such an obsessive compulsive person it's not gonna happen <laughs> i love it i love it uh it's important it's important and um trusting yourself is important and to have people around you that uh, can listen to you is also important so so if you're not into it you got to talk got to talk to people which which translates perfect into the next segment that i've been doing recently uh mental health uh, it sounds like you've tackled a lot of it in a positive way with through yoga um art uh there, there there's a quote that i found on your website uh, that you, you said is a music is an attempt to avoid the words we can't express in life so which which really hits 
music as a cathartic experience for mental health. You you, you mentioned that you're, you're quite the introvert. You're quite uh, confidence was an issue for you. Uh, talk to me about how you stay healthy mentally. What steps do you take when you're feeling down? Well, we'll start with that one. It's not always easy, um, obviously, to get out of something on your own uh, or to know, for example, sometimes it's too far gone. You really need the outside uh, influence to be able to lift yourself back up. Um, but I think one thing that we're all really bad at is actually just like really taking the time to notice how we're actually doing because we're very much on autopilot in our life a lot. Also, because of the, the modern age, we have so many so much input all the time that it's hard sometimes to just like kind of sort through the mess. Um, so for me, one thing is obviously turning off social media. That definitely, and internet in general, just that helps kind of calm down the madness a little bit and allows the space for kind of more internal uh, reflection and being able to just like feel what is actually going on. Or uh, I have this thing, for example, if I'm feeling uh, down, if I'm feeling happy, sometimes I'll sit down and analyze why is it like this? I know that's like super, super like non-romantic and very analytic, but you know, and just to really like notice the patterns and why, if I'm feeling like this, what led to that? And what is, is it actually a big deal? Is this something that can't be fixed? Is this, what can I do to fix this stuff? Like, like that kind of thing. So um, I have both sides. I'm, I'm very much like a, a daydreamer and also at the same time quite organized as a person. So I like to uh, literally like make lists or uh, write down stuff to get it out of my system. So during 2020, for example, what I did because I was going through some really heavy shit my, uh, in my personal life and the world was going crazy at the same time, um, I did a lot of uh, like, it sounds crazy, but I kind of interviewed myself on paper. <clears throat> which I know it sounds really weird, but um, it's basically a good way to really put into words what you're feeling. What are you happy about with yourself? What are you not happy about? What's wrong? Wrong? What's wrong in your life? What's good in your life? All this kind of stuff. So that's one thing. Turning off the turning off the noise. Trying to shift your focus within to really slow down and pause and be like, I'm here in the present. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about the past. I'm trying to just figure out what's going on with me physically and mentally right now. Yoga has, of course, been a huge part of that because yoga and meditation, pranayama, all these things work like a pause button. And that's the whole point is it's not the, you know, the poses or anything like that. So that's actually the part, um, that's actually the point of this. It's the journey towards it and the experience you're having. And that's also in my classes, what I'm teaching, you know, I'm always I'm tarping on my students. They probably hate me like, so notice how you're feeling. And you're like, oh, you're mind them, like to be present because it's not that easy. We're not actually... I feel like we're not actually trained for that, especially not now. Like I feel we're always like taught to think about the the goals in the in the future and mm -hmm. kind of forget about the journey along the way. So that's something too to to try to take a little pause and like really to notice what's going on because that also helps with the main step in my mental health, I think, which is gratitude. When you are able to take a little pause and like really look at your life, look at yourself, look at the people in your life, look at the things you've uh, accomplished, the things you haven't accomplished, everything like this, you realize that every single day there's something that's uh, more than worthy of being grateful for. And I think when you come at it from come at life from that kind of point of view, when you always try to find the little or big things that you can be grateful for, um, it really helps. It really makes you realize that this life is a gift. And here we go, hippie speech. <laughs> and even if it's really, really hard and a lot of challenges, it's there's always something there that's just like, wow, this is such a cool place. Life is cool, even if it's hard. 
Um, so gratitude is something that has helped me a whole lot too. And not, I don't mean like toxic positivism because I don't like that, you know, when people just go, oh, just think positive thoughts, it's going to be okay. That's not what I mean. I just meaning being like very honest with yourself and realizing that, okay, I feel like absolute crap now. I'm not quite even sure how I'm going to get out of this or where I go from here. But still, isn't there something every day if it's just like, you know, you had your favorite meal or you saw a, a pretty flower outside or whatever to I accomplished an actual lifelong dream. Uh, you know, it can be anything. And um, I think if you look at life like that, it definitely uh, brings you so much light and it definitely helps for the mental state a whole lot. I completely agree. Hit so many amazing nails right on the head. Uh, social media has been created to make us feel like shit. It's been documented yep, as fun much. as it is, you know, it's, I'm, you know, when people hear about the new cryptopsy album, they'll, they'll understand what my concept touches on. But, yeah. um, my wife throughout the pandemic, uh, followed a book. It's, it's sort of a, a interesting book called the artist's way. And she, she would do her pages every morning. She called it and she would write out, you have to write out three pages every morning whether it's just emptying your mind, but interviewing yourself is something that, that sort of falls into that. It really gets you to connect with exactly what you want to accomplish that day, what your goals are at that exact moment, what you can appreciate about in each day. And it's true that, that we should really just focus on why we're happy. What, what is this feeling that's coming through mm. us? Why are we upset? What is the root of that upsetness? And, mm. and I imagine most of the time, and even myself, it's hard to disconnect at that moment, but to put yourself into that ritualistic analytical state when you are in a state like that and write it out it would actually probably benefit a lot of people to really cut to the core of what the issue is and most of the time yeah. it's probably not important exactly <laughs> that's the thing that's something that i realized so much too that i was faced with very much when i was started with yoga and i started with like meditation and mindfulness and all these kind of concepts is that so much of our suffering and pain during our life is caused by ourselves you know it's like it's again it sounds so obvious it's like yeah of course because we're self-destructive creatures yes. this has been proven time uh, and time our, again our ego but our, exactly the <laughs> ego yeah the ego gets in your way so much um we need a little bit of it of course and as artists we all have egos let's be honest but uh it's a matter of like you know balancing out i think everything and yeah when you start to realize just like um how you deal with you can't control anything in your life let's be honest except for how you react and how you deal with things and when you start realizing that you see that there's so many things in everyday life even like you know getting annoyed at someone for cutting the line or you know like small trivial stuff that could piss you off if you just kind of like let it go and you're just like whatever it doesn't matter your life will be much more peaceful so yeah just being aware basically i think is a big step in mental health which is hard but it definitely a worth a thing to, something that's worth working on on like a long term basis. And, and I think life should be hard. It's sh absolutely that's true. I think that it makes us better at the end of the day. <laughs> that's so true. It makes us more fulfilled too. Mm -hmm. It's terrible to say that uh, we grow so much from terrible experiences. It's kind of I wish it wasn't like that, but it's definitely the case. And I think it builds character. And um, yeah, definitely we learn a lot from it. So. If things were too easy, I don't think it would be, uh, I don't think life would be as beautiful as it is. As Lord Worm would say, the original singer of Cryptopsy, it's, it's good suffering. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, what's up, Vox and Hobsons? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates. 
that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Teaching vocals. Uh, I've interviewed so many vocal coaches because I love it. I, I first got into singing as a child and then I got singing lessons because my aunt was like, you're going to destroy your voice. So I got <laughs> lessons from an elderly woman. That lived in the town over. I did that. It's for always many years. an elderly woman, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like always. <laughs> she was so. I was like the only guy, the young guy. So I sang all the duets and everything. You, you, got, you, you can imagine. And uh, I, love that. I was like, I just want to be a death metal singer. <laughs> <But> <laughs> exactly. You're like, please don't crap my style. Like, <laughs> no, no, I wasn't a death metal singer at the time. I, I fell into that sure. later on. Uh, but uh, you know, Melissa Cross. I followed that, and then, mm. uh, subsequently now I've interviewed David Benitez of Extreme Vocal Institute, Sebastian yes. Carato. From the Monsters Factory, which I'm proudly a part of, and uh, yes. Mary Z from uh, Voice Hacks. As, I'm sorry if I'm forgetting any other teachers that I've interviewed, but uh, talk to me about that moment when you felt like you were comfortable enough to teach someone else. Well, so that was also something that kind of I didn't fall into it, but in general, when I've learned now, especially through again through COVID, like everyone went through this period of like kind of realizing things, I realized that one of I think one of my purposes in life is to share things that I'm really passionate about with others because I get so obsessive with the things that I'm into that I think uh, it's can benefit uh, people that are maybe not in the <laughs> necessarily in the most traditional route when it comes to like learning things like vocals, for example. So start out with people just, I mean, I've always been kind of like a nerd because of that. I get very obsessed with everything that I'm into. And I got into the vocals when I was going to, to school. Obviously, before that, I was already into the emotional side. And then I, when I started going to school, I was a bit um, uh, skeptical of the technique and everything to begin with because it was difficult. And, you know, you have to relearn things and stuff. But as the years went on, I was like, this is actually really interesting. And you see the potential of the voice and you see what you can do with it and how you can do all these crazy things in a very kind of safe and effortless way. Um, so after I'd been doing the, I, I had been doing my like seven years, uh, six, seven years of vocal classes myself. I just had like some friend musicians that I was kind of teaching and like coaching a little bit that didn't know anything, had no background, just asking like for tips and tricks and stuff. And, it, and that kind of evolved into lessons. And then um, at some point I was like, oh, but I could actually do this, I guess, a bit more serious. Like I never claim to be the best coach or like, uh, uh, for example, I don't have an education as a teacher by any means. I just have a big interest and uh, I have a lot of experience because I've been doing it myself. So I just decided, um, I don't know, what was it, five, six 
seven years ago to, to give it a shot and see how it worked. Because also you never really know how you're going to be as a teacher until you're in the position. That's you can true. know your shit super well, <laughs> but you might not be able to transmit it to others. So it's so difficult. Uh, I, it's not like a guitar. And I've said it before on the podcast, like put your fingers like this, strum yeah. like this. You got it. It's, exactly. it's very working in the the imaginary, the imagination, the positionment. It's, it's, exactly. It's abstract is the word I'm That's exactly for. it. Yeah. It's so hard because you're trying to explain a system that we can't see because everything is happening on the inside. So you have to always base it on like abstract imagery or like trying to make metaphors, or, you know, like paint a picture for the students. And you don't know if they have the same kind of, like you said, um, same kind of way to paint a picture as you do. So it's like there's so many variables that could be, uh, could make teaching a disaster. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll give this a shot. And uh, actually, I, I I noticed that I really like this. Like, I think it's really fun to to, to transmit this to others, and uh, especially when they don't when they start from scratch. I can see that it really benefits them too, and they get something back from it. So yeah, I, I kind of started teaching there uh, when I was uh, basically going back and forth between Paris and Norway. It was mostly when I was in Paris because I was uh, spending more time there. I just started, like like I said, casually with some musician friends that were doing vocals and wanted some help uh, when they had some issues. Then I kind of like started to, um, the, the circle of friends that I had with non-musicians kind of heard about like, oh, I would like to try singing. Or like people that, oh, I used to sing in a choir or stuff like that. And from there, it just kind of evolved uh, into when COVID hit, as I said, I thought maybe this would be the moment to launch into online classes. And by then, uh, I mean, I'd been singing for so many years that I was like, I'm not confident that I'm the best teacher ever, but I know that I know this part of it. And I know that if, especially for people that are starting out, I can definitely help them uh, find a way to express their voice in a safe manner. So, um, but you always have a little, I don't know about like how the other people have talked about, but I always had a little bit of this kind of imposter syndrome feeling, you know, like feeling like you're not really good enough to be teaching what you're teaching. So I was always very kind of like, um, I've always been very careful of, of giving like, you know, kind of um, black or white answers and always say, yeah, it's up to you. You have to figure out how things out, work out for you and everything like this, focusing on that everyone's individual and you need to find the right path for you, but just trying to give people's tools to be able to find their path. So it's such a strange thing. It's, 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 it's so abstract. It's so it's not like you can see to make sure they're doing it. right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing that's weird. Like, if it hurts, <laughs> but stop but you know it might yeah. not hurt later too which is <laughs> it's, yeah exactly it's like yeah it's, like, it's not good if you if your throat feels dry or scratchy it's like yeah but is it scratchy because it's early in the morning yeah. and we're having a class or it's like you know it's like there's so many variables it's... what were some of the biggest challenges translating your courses online versus face-to-face oh you can't really see detailed what's going on so you can see the face, of course, but you can't see the body. And it tends to be um, when you're doing an online class, people also have a bit more like kind of a relaxed approach because obviously they're in their house and they are not like necessarily in a setting that seems as formal. So that can be that's a good thing on the most part, but it can also mean that they don't take it as serious. So like maybe people are seated when they're like warming up and stuff. And you're like, yeah, but you're in the beginning phase is much better to have like gravity work with you in a standing position, this kind of stuff, like small details. And the fact that I'm not there and I can't really see up close what's going on because it's easier, obviously, when you're in the same room. Sometimes when you're in the same room, you can also hear little things and you're just like, oh, that sounds like, yeah. And uh, in the beginning, that was much more of a challenge. Now I think I got used to it so I can kind of translate. I was like, I know my students quite um, quite well. So um, I can I can pick up on the same cues that I probably would when I'm face-to-face. But it's definitely... Uh, 
the exchange is a bit different. Like you don't have the energy exchange in the same way either. Like just with a, like a concert, if it's an online show versus being there in person, not the same thing, you know, it's not going to replace live shows, those online things. So uh, the energy exchange is different too. You don't maybe feel, have the feeling of, of uh, kind of like sharing that creative moment as much. Um, but it definitely, it's still really cool. And it allows me, I have like students like ranging from Canada to New Zealand. So, I mean, it's really cool to be able to have people all over the world and see them on a regular basis and share this love of music like all together. So even if it's a bit more difficult, a bit more complicated, uh, and also for me, like screaming, I can't do that here in my house because people will think I'm being murdered. Oh, so basically, okay. <laughs> I have to go to like a special uh, place, uh, like a rehearsal space to be able to teach those classes when I'm demonstrating. <laughs> so I also have to try to figure out ways how to teach screaming without demonstrating. That's also not super easy. Um, so yeah. I think it's creative. That's all <laughs> creative and very attentive and careful with your students. I, I'm very so. lucky that my, my neighbors understand that I'm not murdering myself or getting murdered <laughs> when, when I good. track vocals or right when I finish this, basically I'm, I'm going to uh, apply for an audition because I'm part oh. of the, the monster factory, which Sebastian yeah. Carato runs uh, where we're a yes, big group exactly. of extreme metal vocalists that do vocals for movies or video games or television. And uh, we have an audition that I have to uh, put some things in for after this. Uh, That's so exciting. Good luck. I hope I get it. It's going to be a good one if we get it. Uh, I would like to talk about um, people hiring you, asking you to do some guest work. Um, you're on one of my favorite CDs this year, which which is... Well, you know, yours is there too, obviously, but Carpenter Brute, uh, you did Nice some... save, nice save. <laughs> I, I, my my mother-in-law always said I could have been a politician. Um, <laughs> Carpenter Brute's uh, Sabbath Matters, uh, what a great track. Uh, to talk to me about bands, artists hitting you up. How does that work? Is it them just writing you? I'm imagining, you mentioned living in Paris. I imagine you might know the people from Carpenter Brute. Uh, you've done Alcest, you've done Mall. Uh, just so many great, great albums and great artists have uh, collaborated with you. Alsace twice too. So talk to me about how that relationship happens. So usually it comes out of like, you know, just kind of hanging out together or becoming friends or like maybe crossing paths at a show or something like that, like in some setting. And you just, uh, I feel like you just have a, a, a vision that's kind of shared and then you find out that, oh, maybe we can do something together. Um, so for me, with Alsace, for example, that was very much the case. I was in contact with Nej. I, I met him at a show here, uh, sorry, in Sweden, actually. That's when I met him the first time. And then he came. they came here to play a few times, too. And uh, basically, we just kept in touch because we, were very, we have a lot of the same, same um, outlooks on life. And we just have a lot of stuff in common. So it just made sense that at some point, our worlds would kind of like mingle together. And so I was looking for someone to do drums for my record, my second record, Wistful, at the time. Uh, because um, even if I loved working with my dad so much for the first record, it was like precious to share something that important with him and it will be here forever. Uh, I knew that uh, when I wanted to include some or incorporate more of the kind of metal tools that I like to use in my music, I would have to find a drummer more into that. Even though, you know, like having my 70, what, back then, 70 year old dad doing blast beats on my record was really cool <laughs> so, so he came a long way like, from the, yeah, the, the the criticizing emperor i like that <laughs> yeah, it was like okay yeah exactly you're like you say this is noise yet here we are so <laughs> so um but yeah so basically that happened very naturally it was just because and then when it came time for them to make kodama basically he was like he was looking for this kind of female specific style of voice and he was like maybe you could give it a go and i was like yeah sure of course i love your music so that would be cool and things just kind of 
from there we just ended up like collaborating more and more uh, like with Merle for example from from Denmark they literally just wrote me at some point and said that we really like what you do and we feel that our worlds are very much uh, related so would you be interested in and I, I you know I knew the band and I was like yeah of course that would be super cool um, and same with uh, Frank from Carpenter Brutes basically uh, there was another project we were talking about doing together he saw he wasn't even there, but he saw a recording of a solo performance I did in Paris with uh, warming up for Emma Thrundle, basically um, doing like solo versions of my songs. And I, uh, I was yeah, I did some different things at that show, and he really liked what he saw, and he was like, "We have to do something together." And we talked about some stuff, and things, some things didn't work out. And then when he came time to make uh, make his new record, he was like, "I would love to have you." Uh, write lyrics and do some vocals on the record and he did the thing where i just love this one he just went do whatever you want <laughs> i was like are you sure about that? <laughs> pandora's box hello <laughs> so uh but it's always fun to try to when i do guest vocals i'm always i kind of forget about my i try to forget about my taste and just go more like what are they trying to communicate uh, the emotions that are already here i just want to build up under that and i actually declined uh many guest vocal uh, uh requests because I felt like my voice either couldn't add anything or I didn't couldn't quite communicate what what I thought was the center of the project or that I didn't really feel that it was the right thing to do. So I wouldn't just want to put my vocals on something to have it there. I really want to, to serve the song in the best way. So the ones that I have ended up doing, I felt that I the, the, the voice actually added something uh, that was beneficial to, to everyone. So um, yeah, with Carpenter Brute, I really, this was so fun. Uh, it really pushed me in a new direction and I was trying to do some different kind of things. And there was even like an, another song that didn't, actually the vocals didn't make the record, but it's actually the songs on the record. Oh, really? Um, where I was like actually trying to like rap and shit, <laughs> which was like, I was, I just told him, nobody wants to hear that. And he was like, just try. And then, then I tried and he was like, Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> like, well, I tried. So there we go. It's a fun to experiment. But uh, yeah, actually, that song inspired me for Nova. It's funny. Uh, like, the, the rhythmic things that were happening there is something that came back on Nova. So it's always really, really fun to do to do guest vocals. And it's usually uh, people uh, in the past has been either, like, organic kind of connections that happen or people approaching me and asking if I would like to, to be a part of, of their album or song or something like that. So very fun when that happens well i'll keep doing it uh i think it's a gift to to have yeah. uh, your voice in different worlds yeah keep, for sure keep, keep keep spreading it around when it works yeah uh, it's cool collabs i love collabs i want to ask you about a beer collab i've released probably 40 collabs in the past year i've made teas i've made coffees i've made lots of beers um <laughs> if you could make a collab for sylvain it could be anything it could be something that represents you uh, what would that be? A yoga mat. That would work for me. <laughs> like a yoga, a, a yoga starter kit, you know, with the mat on the mm -hmm. block and everything like that. The <laughs> like your Sil Namaste shirt. Sylvain. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny you mentioned that actually, because there, there is one, there's actually one happening right now that I can't talk about yet, but it will be announced at some point, which is, I think it's very me. And when people see this, they won't be surprised, especially the people that really know me, my friends, they'll be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so that's really funny. But it would be like, ah, um, oh, that's a good question. It, it would be something related to, it could be something related to like, you know, uh, gaming or something because I'm a, or like something related to Japan. Like, I don't know, Sylvain instant ramen or something. <laughs> I don't know, because I'm like such a weebo. That could be something. Or, uh, 
yeah, the, the collab that's coming is also very me that I can't talk about. But uh, don't tell me now. Tell me later when no one's listening. I'm excited. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> One last question. I typically ask um, what your hangover cure is. That doesn't apply here. Uh, tell me about the silver lining <laughs> of your pandemic. What is the best thing that came out of the time that we were given for you? I think the best thing that came out of it, and I feel like we already lost that a little bit, I guess, for some people. But the best thing that came out of it is it actually gave people mental space to to be with themselves and like I said, like really reflect on things. Some people probably did that more than others, but it, it seems to be like a red thread through everyone has done this at some point during the period because you were forced to, you were like trapped in your house. You couldn't leave. So, I mean, you, you kind of had to, at some point you're running out of like shit to do or like, you know, <laughs> wanting to scroll Instagram Fine. for the 50th time. I'll day. talk to myself. Exactly. <laughs> okay then. Like, so I think that was something that was very positive. And I, I mean, we saw, we saw the aftermath. So many people change domains in life they changed jobs they moved they changed life partners you know like all this kind of stuff uh, because they had the time to really just or they were forced to take the time to to look at their reflection in the mirror and go what's going on i think that's the silver lining uh sometimes you feel like as soon as things open up again like that everything was forgotten and we go back into the rat race and that's it but i like to think my like more positive side likes to think that we learned something from this at least on a personal level can't say that the global situation is actually doing very well at the moment, but you know, uh, at least I think the best thing is that people had time to just be themselves and figure out what is that and what do I like about that and what do I don't like about that. Mm, that is true. On a somber yet uplifting note such as that, Catherine, I will thank you for taking the time to hang out with me, talking about life, talking about music, talking about music, while I enjoyed uh, this delicious L'été sans fin. The Endless Summer by Second Bottle. I had a blast. Everyone go check out Nova. Came out March 4th. It's a very good record. And uh, my son Thank you thinks so it's, much. it's sad. So. <laughs> <laughs> so There you go. You heard it, guys. It's sad. <laughs> my four-year-old son. That's what he said. But, uh, cheers to you. I appreciate you very much. Cheers. This was lots of fun. Cheers, Matt. It was really great. Thank you so much. It was really cool. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome, awesome conversation. I love speaking to artists, and Catherine is most certainly, definitely that. People that compose by themselves, that write by themselves. So different than what I do with Cryptopsy. I always end up just having a blast hanging out with them. Massive cheers to Catherine. I cannot wait to hang out with her again, to hear more music from her so that I can show my son and see if he still thinks it's somber. We'll find out. Massive cheers to Catherine. I really, really had a blast, and I hope that you did as well. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a month that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I've released recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You'll get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You'll get to see any information about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And trust me, I always have a bunch of things going on behind the scenes. You also get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. The most extreme, fresh, new music that is dropping every week. Jerry listens to it all somehow and he puts it on the playlist for you to enjoy. It's available on both Apple Music and Spotify, the Brutal Awakenings playlist is what you want to be listening to trust me 
There is just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I hate for you to miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I have one more episode coming up this Friday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>